going to finish this up today. Uh, when I say that, I mean behold. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about behold. We've uh, taken on just looking at this word behold and where it seems to crop up every so often. In fact, once you start looking at it, it just it comes up everywhere. We just keep going. Want to bring some sort of uh, closure to this series tonight, today. This word behold, if we can just remind you. In the original, it was a stop, pay attention, look closely, lean in a bit further. You're going to experience something in your gazing, in your looking upon. Sounds like a big long definition. Stop, pay attention, look, come closer. And that's what we've wanted to do. That's what we've wanted to do as we came up to Christmas and the lead up, the build up to Christmas. We wanted just to stop, pay attention, come closer, experience something fresh from the Christmas story. And we wanted to start off this new year in the same way. So we start off a new year. The desire of my heart has been to establish rhythms that are going to help me better love him and love others. That's what I've wanted to do. And it's requiring me to stop, to pay attention, to respond to him, experience something new, experience something fresh. And the last two weeks, that's, that's really been the theme of the last two Sundays. Two Sundays ago, we were in Isaiah 43. Last week, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In both these times, it's using this language, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't dwell on the things of the past. Don't stay there. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? is what the prophet Isaiah spoke to God's people. And then last week we looked at the old has passed away, the new has come. Therefore we're, we're all new, we're a new creation. Those of us that are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so the last two weeks, we've been in Isaiah's time years and years and years ago. We've been uh, moved forward a wee bit, still years ago, in Paul's time. And it still looks that God has been saying the same thing to his people all along. We are reminded, Jesus reminds us in John chapter 5, that the Father, Father is always at work. The Father is always recreating. He's always resetting. He's always reforming. He's always up to something. He's always at work. He's active. He's never passive. He never has been. He never will be. God is always at work and his invitation remains for his people to behold. His invitation remains for his people to see what it is that he is doing and to be a part of it. That's what the cry of Isaiah's heart was. That's what the cry of Paul's heart was. Look what he's doing. Respond to it. 
you're invited in to be a part of it. And that remains for each one of you guys in, in this room this morning that knows Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, please respond to his incredible love, his incredible mercy, his incredible forgiveness. Respond to it now. His invitation has always remained. Look what I'm doing. I'm inviting you in to be a part of it. And this word new, especially in the New Testament, in the Greek, is the word kenos. And that word, as we looked at last week, was something fresh in opportunity, something fresh in development, something that was unprecedented, something that had never been seen before. And we, we see that. As, as Neville has said, if you're following this Bible reading plan, you'll have been in Matthew the whole month. And you just see Jesus. We beheld him as he came and took on flesh. We still do that. That's not just a story for Christmas. Behold the Savior of the world. And we look at him and we see this, we see this new thing. We see something we see someone unprecedented doing things that were fresh in, in development. We see him doing things that had never been seen before, never been heard of before. And that's what the Father keeps on inviting us in on. And I think he says the same things to Isaiah. He says the same things to the church in Corinth in Paul's time. And I think he keeps on saying it to us. Even this morning, it feels like he's reminding us again, don't dwell on those things of the past. Don't dwell on the former things. Don't dwell on the things that have restricted you. Don't restrict yourself by what has gone on in the past. Don't restrict yourself by what has gone on this week. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't hold so tightly to the traditions and the teachings of man. And I say that quite cautiously. I don't want to be heard wrong. I don't want you to pick me up wrong. But there are, even this week, as I've, as I've studied through some stuff that I want to share this morning, there is traditions and teachings of man that are completely foreign to the Scripture. They're completely foreign. They're, com- they're, they're, they're completely foreign to the Word of God. They're completely foreign to the early church and the early church fathers, the early church writers. And so I want to say that don't, don't dwell on the former things. Don't be restricted by your past. Don't settle for mediocrity. And, and don't hold so tightly to the traditions that have been passed down from man. And saying all of that, let me read let me read where I want us uh, to go this morning. And if you want to flick your Bibles right to the end. Revelation twenty one. Or scroll your finger as far as it can go. Revelation twenty one. And I want to read let me read the first uh, five verses. This is John writing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. If you want to use our word. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold. Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I'll be really honest with you, I said this to Neville yesterday morning, the, the, the further I went into this, I couldn't help but go further into Revelation. And there's at times that, that Revelation is quite unnerving. It can be quite uncomfortable. But I felt this week that he's, that he's, just, he's just continued to give me fresh revelation of what the book is about. And I'm reluctant to push it too far because it feels like it's it's stuff that he's churning in me. He's he's doing in me, and some stuff is maybe just personal. It needs to remain personal. And uh, and so I'm approaching this quite tentatively, if I'm being really honest, because I'm aware that there there is, and I don't know if it is in this room, but there is a lot of thoughts, a lot of theories, a lot of traditions. A lot of teachings around this book, and and I am by no means I couldn't do it even if I wanted to go into any of that this morning. I love what Pastor Phil over at Emmanuel says in all the conversations around whether you're premillennial, amillennial, whatever you are. Phil says Phil says that he's pan millennial. It's all going to pan out in the end, and I'm probably quite comfortable with that. So I'm not sure what everyone's thoughts are when it comes to this book. And I want, I do, I want, I want, to, spend, I want to spend near enough all of our time in these verses that I've read. But I think it's just worth, because we've opened up at Revelation, I think it's just worth reminding, reminding ourselves that this is a piece of apocalyptic literature. This is apocalyptic literature and I don't know whether anybody in this room takes revelation literally but I I don't believe I don't know how we can take it literally it's apocalyptic literature and it means it's a apocalyptic means it's unveiling it's unveiling I'm I'm too nervous to look at Gareth in case I just say stuff that's completely wrong 
and he just starts shaking his head. But it's, it's, it means, apocalyptic means it's unveiling. And I think for me, I've, I've grown up, and this is, what, this is where I'm at at the minute. I think I've grown up believing that this book, Revelation, the 22 chapters of Revelation, were an unveiling of the destruction of the end of the world. Start off again, in the, right at the beginning, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 2, and actually see that it's an unveiling of, of the person of Jesus. It's an unveiling of Jesus. And it's actually, to go even further, I think it's an unveiling of the victory of the cross. That's what it's an unveiling of. It's not an unveiling of the destruction of the end of the world. I think it is so unfortunate that there is a, there's a, in, the, in certain evangelical circles, there's a train of thought that says this earth, that creation is going to be destroyed and we are getting out of here. Those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, that the, that the earth is going to be destroyed and we are getting out of here. I think that is unfortunate. And I don't think it is in line with the scripture. I don't think it is in line with the thinking of the New Testament writers. In fact, it was quite surprising to me to see some of the things that I, that I believed about this book were only only started to become part of the evangelical thought in the 19th century. I don't want to get bogged down by all of this. But to to look at Revelation as a literal snapshot of the future only came into being not that long ago. In the last 100 or 200 years, this thought started to come into the church, started to come into evangelical thinking was never there before. See, I believe with all my heart this book is an unveiling of Jesus. It's an unveiling of the victory of the cross. And it's an unveiling of lamb-like love. Sacrificial, lamb-like love. Showing that, that there is a way to defeat through Babylon power or there is a way to defeat for victory through lamb-like power, through the victory of the cross. And I don't know where you're at. All I know is I don't want to upset or offend. But this is my, un- this is my understanding. This is what I'm wrestling with. And, I, and, I, and, I, and as I was thinking through whether even to say some of that, I felt like last night God just gave me this, uh, this word from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And this is what it says. Verse 9 says that he, he made known to us the mystery. Speaking of the Father, speaking of God, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. And this is it. This is what caught me. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, and that's Jesus. This was the understanding. This is what the New Testament writers understood of the cross and the resurrection. I don't think there's any of the New Testament writers, I don't think there's any of the early church writers or early church fathers would have understood the cross and the resurrection as being a ticket to get us out of here when we die. 
I can't see it anywhere until the 19th century that this became part of our thinking. The will of God was that when the fulfillment came, that under Christ, heaven and earth would come together. See, I, I, was, I was saying, again, I was saying to Neville yesterday morning that I, I'm trying to pinpoint when something shifted in me. And I really believe it was in whenever, I can't remember how long ago it was, but we went through a series looking at, whenever, we looked at awe and wonder. And I just went through this time in my life that I just became struck by creation. Became struck by its beauty. Came to a place of wonder at all that he had made. And I slowly began to realize that I, I, I am the pinnacle. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We are loved. We are created. We are sustained by God. But so is the earth. So is the world. He loved, he so loved the cosmos. He loves it all. And, he, and, and he's created the earth. He's created the world. Everything in it. And it's loved and it's sustained by him. And so right from the beginning, right from the beginning, we, we see that our bodies were corrupted because of the fall. Because of what went on in Genesis chapter 3, we, our bodies have been corrupted because of sin. Creation has been corrupted because of sin. But that doesn't make our bodies bad. It doesn't make them evil. It doesn't make creation bad or evil. Creation is important to God. He will not abandon creation. John... First John is. I was with the the guys at the mission school this week, and just captivated again by by John's first letter, First John. And he says in in verse two of First John chapter four. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. I just want to I just wanted to, to point this out because there was John was speaking to a people who thought this way about creation, who thought this way about our bodies, about the flesh. They said because of, of because of the corruption of our bodies, because our bodies were were evil that God would never come in flesh. He would never come and dwell among us in human flesh. And John is saying that way of thinking is wrong. That's not true. Jesus took on flesh and came among us. Their thinking was that the body was so sinful and the soul was busting to get out of it and get to heaven. That was their thinking. And John was saying that's not from God. That's... That's not from him because God loves your body and he wants to redeem it. God loves the earth and he wants to redeem the earth. He is going to transform and perfect the earth. He is going to transform and perfect your body. And so I say all of that to point out that this is what John sees. He sees 
this renewed earth coming down from heaven. This is not a replacement earth coming down from heaven. This is a renewed earth being made perfect, being made right, being transformed and perfected. That is what's going to happen to our bodies. These bodies are not going to be replaced. They're going to be renewed. They're going to be made in the way that they were supposed to be made. And all of this, all of this, has, and it has done it in me, it continues to do so in me, has this potential to affect how we treat our bodies and how we treat the earth. And I'm sorry if this sounds, I don't want to say hippie, but I can't think of the word at the minute, but it's, I'm, I'm thinking it's so important. This understanding, it it has the potential to impact how we treat our bodies and how we treat the earth. First heaven and the first earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I read that and I was like, if you take that literally, if you take the revelation literally, I think it's awful because how can there be no longer any sea? I would hate that. For those of you that love the ocean, that love nothing more than going down and and looking at the sea and and being in awe and wonder at the oceans, he holds them like a drop in his hand. There's something about the sea and creation that is beautiful, that we love. (laughs) No more crazes, that's funny. <laughs> you, you, like, you like this then, you like this part. Of it. If you don't like any of the other bits that I've said, you love this. Because the sea represented something in the, in, the, in the writings of John. The sea was symbolic. The sea was symbolic for lawless, unruly society. Sea was a symbol for forces of evil that threatened the world, that threatened the earth. And so in this renewed earth, with our renewed bodies, our renewed minds, there is no longer anything to corrupt it. There is no longer anything to disrupt this renewed earth. Because there will be no longer anything to threaten. There will be no longer anything to corrupt there will no longer be any unlawful, unruly society. It will be no more. And I don't know, again, if you were to take this book literally, how, how does that look? How does the next verse look to you? I saw this city coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. A city dressed as a bride. But I want let me I want I just want to say a few things around this. Again to understand some of some of the thinking when this was written. So the Judaism in the culture of Judaism, marriage was a twofold was a twofold thing. There was this engagement. You were now legally betrothed. And then you were married. 
was this two stages. And there was the engagement. So now you were legally bound to the person you were engaged to. And then there would have been a there would have been a time of preparation. And so the groom would have went off and worked. And the bride would have stayed and would and prepared for the return of the groom. And so in that preparation time, community would have gathered round, or mum would have gathered round. Maids, her maids, they would have had maids that would have gathered round and just prepared them in every way for the return of the groom, for the eventual marriage of the bride and the groom. And, and, and that's where we're, that's the place that we're living in today. We're living in that betrothal period. We're living in that place of engagement. As the verses go on, I want to, I felt this morning, I just want to encourage you, those that are struggling with, with addictions or fears, sickness, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be that way. We're in this time of preparation. And then the groom will come back and there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more mourning. But we're in this betrothal period right now. There's a time for us. This is our time to be prepared, to be preparing ourselves as the bride of Christ. We don't look like it now. We don't look that beautifully dressed for him coming back. We don't look like it now, but again, 1 John 3 verse 2 has these incredible words. We are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children. Engagement has happened. We are in this place of preparation. It hasn't all been made known yet. But it will be. And we will see him And when he appears, we shall be like him. And if I can just say this, you are not a child waiting for the end. You're not a child waiting for the end. You, right now, now is the time for you to start thinking and acting and living like you belong to him. Now is the time to start living like that. You're not a child that is waiting for the end. Start thinking, acting, living like a child now. I feel like I want to talk even more about the bride. Because the bride is all of us together. The bride is the togetherness. It's the togetherness of God's people that makes up the bride. And I loved my time with the guys on, on Tuesday. 
at the mission school. We, we, taught, we were talking about the church and we shared some stuff around what it meant to be the bride of Christ. What it meant to be part of the body. What it meant to be the gathering of the saints. And I, I, I don't want to put the guys, I'm reluctant to put them under too much pressure. But I really felt the night before that I shared with them, the Monday night before I shared with them at the castle, and I've already told them this, I increasingly feel that these guys have an opportunity to model something really significant. They have a responsibility, in some ways I think it's a responsibility that they have to model something incredibly significant. Not just in the mission school, not just from half nine to half twelve on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, but 21 people living together, sharing community life, sharing ordinary community life from different nationalities, from different backgrounds, from different languages, that have held on to different doctrines and different teachings, different priorities and preferences, all coming together for a period of a time. And at the gathering of the saints, they're a representation of the body of Jesus. And they have an incredible opportunity to represent something that I think will be incredibly significant, a really important opportunity to model what shared community life looks like. See, one of the things that is completely foreign to the New Testament, one of the things that the, the early church fathers just would not get is this level of individualism in our Western culture. This level of individualism that keeps on sneaking into the church. And the idea of an individual Christian is completely foreign to the New Testament. Completely foreign to New Testament writers. There is no way we are to be the bride that we are supposed to be without each other. There is no way that we're going to be beautifully dressed. There is no way that we're going to stand before him without spot, blemish or wrinkle. As Paul said in Ephesians 5, there's no way that we're going to be able to do that without each other. Because I have spots and blemishes all over me and I, there's some that I can't see. And I need, I need the bride, I need the, the body of Christ that are going to show me where they are. I need somebody to tell me where the blemishes are. You need somebody to tell you where the spots are. We need to iron out those wrinkles because he's coming back for a radiant bride, spotless, wrinkless, without blemish. John 14, verse 3. And I know that from many of our versions will say, Jesus speaking, but going to prepare. He's a way to work. And then he's going to come back and then he's going to take you away. That's what some of our translations have. Again, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the resources that allow us to see the original. The original was just simply, I'm coming back and I'm going to receive you onto myself. The groom's going to come back. After being at work, he's coming back and he's going to bring us onto himself. We're told then, behold, this is, this is the way it was supposed to be. This is what I long for from the beginning. 
that you would be, that the dwelling of God is with men and that he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Pay attention to that. Behold. We're going to be renewed. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be perfected and it's going to be what he intended all along. That he would come and be with us. That his dwelling place would be among us. Among a people whose bodies have been perfected. In an earth that has been redeemed, renewed, perfected. Behold that. We will be who we were created to be. The earth will be as it was created to be. And then we will do at the end what we should have been doing in the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we see the incredible creation account. And the pinnacle of creation was us. Believe it or not, we were the pinnacle of creation. And he said, this conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image and let them rule over the earth. That's how the Father created us. And in Revelation chapter 5, we see what we, sh- what we will be doing at the end. He's made it right. And we'll be doing at the end what we should have done at the beginning. Revelation 5 verse 10 says he has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. They will rule on the earth. See, I think I touched on this last week. You are his plan. In this time of preparation, You are his plan to make sure every tribe, nation, tongue, neighbor, family member knows Jesus. It's the church that he has decided to be the to bring to be the vehicle of hope, to be the vehicle of bringing good news to all people. You're his plan. You're his plan, and if that's if that's not daunting enough, there's no plan B. You're his plan. He's put it all on us as his ambassadors of reconciliation. For us, not withholding people's sins against them, but going and making the reconciliation message of Jesus known to everybody. Behold, The dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's incredible. And they were told that the one that was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And that's what he's, he's going to do right to the very end. And that's what we're, we're in the middle of that. We're still in the middle of that place now where he's making things new, where he's carving out ways to bring life, streams of living water 
to places of barrenness, to places of dryness. He's going to do it new ways. The, 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 the content remains the same, but we need new wineskins to carry what he wants to do. We need something that is unprecedented, something that is unheard of. And in our political world, in, in what is going on socially, politically, economically, we need to find other ways, new methods, new things, find out what it is that he's doing. Because he's always creating new pathways. He's always making things new. He's always doing something that's unprecedented, that's unheard of, fresh in opportunity, fresh in development. So, Father, I just pray that, you'd, that you would uh, help us to, in some ways, get a glimpse of eternity this morning. Will you give us a glimpse of eternity? Will you fix our eyes on the hope that is to come? And in the midst of that waiting, would we still hold on to the fact that we are now, we are the bride of Christ. We are the children of God. What we, what we are going to be has not yet been made known, but we will one day see you, you will appear, and we will be like you. But until that, until that day, we pray that you would be a, a thinking. We would be preparing ourselves as a bride would. We would be thinking and acting and living as those that already belong to you, not waiting for the end. Father, I just pray that you would help us continue to reveal truth to us through your word. Continue to allow us to sharpen one another, to influence and correct and stand with and love and bless one another. Would we establish rhythms in our life, in our lives this month, this year, that are going to help us love you better, that are going to help us prepare for your coming better, that are going to help us prepare for loving others better, would you help us to establish those rhythms? And if it means doing something new, if it means letting go of some of the old, not dwelling or being restricted by former things, but perceiving and seeing and responding to your hand of preparation and purpose even now. In Jesus' name, amen.